Welcome to the Visegrad Inside podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe. Welcome to the Visegrad Inside podcast. It's Monday, January 24th, and we're coming to you from our office in Warsaw. I'm Miles Maftian, editorial director, and I'm here with our managing editor, Kamil Jaronczyk. Welcome, Kamil. Hi, Miles. It's great to be here. We have quite a packed agenda today, so we'll, we'll start by rounding up some of the top news from the region. Then our editor-in-chief Wojciech Przybylski will detail the latest in the Pegasus scandal and how this could potentially break the majority held by the ruling Law and Justice Party. And finally, you'll listen to my conversation with Tomas Kasprovich regarding the latest ban proposed by Russia on the mining and the use of cryptocurrency and what this actually means for digital currency advocates in the region. But first, if you want to read the full outlook this week, you can do so on our website. We're offering a great promotion for January. If you use January 2022 as a discount code, you'll get 20% off, and that gives you full access to our reports and detailed analysis from our regional experts. Let's turn our attention to the actual region. So we see that tensions have further escalated in eastern Ukraine. Political advisors of the Normandy format countries are expected to reconvene in Paris on the 25th of January, and here they'll discuss the situation further. Meanwhile, you see that the Czech Republic and the Baltics have been sending weapons to Ukraine. London has been vying for a Ukraine-Poland security pact. And in a sort of strong sign of allied solidarity, you see that Denmark and the Netherlands have sent fighter jets to Lithuania and Bulgaria. France has sent troops to Romania and a frigate from Spain is heading to the Black Sea. However, not all is quiet on the Eastern Front. There's actually a crack in Allied ranks. Germany's new government still has no coherent position on their support for Ukraine. It's declined supplying weapons. It's only sending hospital beds at this point, and it has even gone so far as to block Estonia from sending any German-produced weapons to Ukraine. Ex-German Navy chief has openly doubted the return of Crimea to Ukraine, leading to his resignation over the comments. In Washington, reports have come in stating that President Biden is considering deploying several thousand U.S. troops, as well as warships and aircraft to NATO allies in the Baltics and Eastern Europe. This pivot would just basically signal that a diplomatic process would shift to another gear in face of an imminent attack order by Moscow. In other news on the region, Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban plans to meet with President Vladimir Putin on the 1st of February to discuss the progress of a Russian-backed project to expand a Hungarian nuclear power plant. Hungary wants the project to, quote, enter into the establishment phase in the first half of this year. But for more on the region, I now turn to our managing editor, Camille. Uh, yep. Uh, thanks, Miles. Uh, yeah, so now some news from the, the Visegrad uh, countries. In Slovakia, President Zuzana Chaputova supports the defense cooperation agreement between Slovakia and the U.S., uh, but under the condition that an interpretation clause is accepted. Uh, this interpretation clause clarifies much of the disinformation that pro-Russian elements in the government have been spreading. We actually had a piece on this uh, beforehand. The DCA has caused a split in Slovakia along uh, government uh, within the governmental coalition, and um, it is a shame that um, it got to this point. But it's after following uh, 
breakfast with the ruling coalition. And now moving a little bit to the West, uh, the Czech Republic is actually likely to leave two Russian-led cooperation banks. These banks are holdovers from the country's uh, time in the, in the Eastern Bloc. The International Investment Bank, known as the IIB, which is actually located in Budapest since 2019, and the International Bank for Economic Cooperation, IBEC, they have been known for uh, corruption and um, other and other uh, not not so great things. Uh, sometimes spying as well. They will, uh, but uh, it will be decided once the prime minister meets with his cabinet later this week, most likely. Then uh, moving on, moving to the south, uh, the British ambassador to Romania actually announced on Thursday, on the twentieth of January, that the bilateral strategic partnership signed in two thousand and three and renewed in two thousand eleven will be upgraded. This follows the March two thousand nineteen memorandum on British-Romanian defense cooperation at the Black Sea, and the November. 2020 agreement on reinforcing the strategic partnership. Great timing, uh, considering the situation in the region. That's right. <laughs> and uh, moving back uh, north uh, to uh, the biggest country, Central Eastern Europe, Poland's state railway uh, announced that uh, Ukraine is blocking rail ship, uh, shipments that include cargo from China and Russia. Does this show the potential importance of regional players in a strategy against the Belt and Road Initiative? Or do we face the reality that Chinese trade already remains important and that an EU strategy against the initiative requires a strategy that already understands the role of Chinese imports within the CEE? In a previous piece that I wrote, I actually uh, mentioned uh, the, issue, the issue with um, investing in eastern cargo ports, the fact that uh, countries, in that piece I mentioned Belarus's position, but also, as we can see, Ukraine also is taking advantage of these um, uh, of these uh, ship, uh, shipping routes. Yes, but uh, that's not all that's happening in Poland. And uh, to talk about a fairly big scandal that is unfo uh, unfolding in Poland, we will go on to our editor-in-chief, Wojciech Przybylski. Well, indeed, expect a heated political debate in Poland this week as the opposition is scrambling up together with uh, Kukiz party formerly voting aligned with the government, but now um, demanding uh, with just three MPs to open an investigative commission on uh, uh, illegal surveillance practices since 2005, which was the first year of the first government of PIS. Um, and later uh, this period also covers uh, the government of Civic Platform and the Peasant Party, PSL. Now we may uh, see that uh, together with Cookies, the opposition has normally more um, MPs, so they could vote in the, uh, the, the commission to be installed and investigate the Pegasus case where the current PIS government allegedly has been using uh, spyware software to hack phones of uh, several uh, uh, people, um, politically sensitive cases with uh, with a lawyer, a prosecutor, uh, MP being investigated in sensitive, politically sensitive times of electoral campaigns in the past. And there are now proofs after initial denials um, that the Pegasus equipment has been in fact purchased and it has been purchased with the breach of, uh, of procedures, uh, breach of uh, public finances. Mm, according to the documents leaked by the Supreme Audit Office, um, there is uh, clear information of uh, a, a financial regulation breach, which is 
um, potentially a criminal offence um, conducted by a minority fraction within the PIS government officials of Mr. Jobro party. This has not been prosecuted as Mr. Jobro controls the prosecution but the official documents may lay forward in the coming years also uh, a clear case against some of the top officials from this party. And in the current context of the of the upcoming week, this scandal, this affair is going to be a big test, both of the unity and potential of the opposition, as well as the ability of PIS to, to also scramble and to mobilize all of its MPs during pandemic, during the times when many of them are on leave and to vote um, for that. PIS government is changing regulations of the parliament uh, to enable all of MPs to vote also virtually through uh, their tablet devices, which raises many eyebrows in terms of the procedure of potential fraud coming with it. Uh, earlier reports in the previous months of the pandemic have highlighted that such, uh, such an opening may turn out to be um, uh, open for, for malpractice, including some of the votes not counted, some of the votes counted despite they were not casted, and that, uh, and that alike. At the same time, the same, the very same week, uh, the president of the Supreme Audit Office, an independent, constitutionally independent office to which Mr. Marian Banash has been elected. Previously, he served as a high-ranking PIS government official in the Ministry of Finance, responsible for many of the uh, policies uh, of this government. Uh, uh, he is now being um, recommended to, to be removed of immunity by the PIS government in the light of uh, upcoming uh, criminal charges to be uh, put forward um, by the prosecutor prosecutor's office. Uh, and Marian Banash is uh, defending himself. He's defending his position by supplying the public opinion and the opposition with uh, clear evidence of corruptions, um, corruption, misuse of funds, misuse of uh, or abuse of power by PIS, as he has all the access and he has all the information and documents through uh, from the audits that have been performed with, with the government. This makes um, the political situation in Poland, political week, very much heated. It doesn't necessarily add points to the opposition, which currently is engaged in um, in damaging primarily the government, while, uh, of course, like in other countries of Europe and, and the world, uh, the big problems remain. Uh, the economic situation, the pandemic, with uh, rapidly rising numbers of people uh, on quarantine and um, and the numbers of deaths exceeding, again, uh, 100,000 cases in, in uh, uh, Poland, um, um, and um, and the situation in Ukraine, which um, which is a special attention for the for the uh, previous has been the pre in the previous weeks, and it is going to be the uh, most important um, uh, case, the, the most important issue for the for the upcoming time, uh, especially also this week. Um, with a looming aggression, with more um, potential preparations for uh, Russian aggression uh, being recognized and being responded to by, by the US, potential movements of uh, additional troops and um, units to eastern flank of NATO, 
that has been considered and has this this has been reported by the Washington Post as well as the evacuation of families from Kiev embassy all of that put a lot of um, uh, focus also elsewhere than the Pegasus case yet we believe uh, the Pegasus case in itself explains a lot and the dynamic and will set the dynamics of the of the Polish politics uh, not only for this week but maybe for the coming weeks and months um, of this year. So what we see is that cryptocurrency is making headlines again this week, and the grim news reflects the downward spiral it faced this year, with Bitcoin prices down 16% in January. On Thursday night, Bitcoin prices fell more than 7%, wiping off nearly $147 billion from the cryptocurrency market. This decline comes after Russia's central bank on Thursday proposed a ban on the use of and mining cryptocurrencies, with Russia being one of the world's leading Bitcoin mining locations. So this begs the question, what sparked such a response from Russia? If we're actually to believe the governmental response, then we can simply say the ban proposed on Russian territory cites threats to financial stability, citizens' well-being, and its monetary policy sovereignty. But we're asking ourselves, is this simply a response to the news from Washington, namely that the U.S. Federal Reserve released a long-awaited discussion paper on the possibility of creating a digital version of the U.S. dollar? And more importantly, where is the EU in all of this? Has there been a response? And where does this EE region align in this debate? So we decided to invite Tomasz Kasparic. He's an entrepreneur in Poland who holds a doctorate in finance from Southern Illinois University, Carbondale. Uh, he researches decision-making in conditions of uncertainty, certainly topical, uh, to actually come on and discuss these recent developments. Welcome, Tomasz. It's great to have you on. Hello. Thank you very much for inviting me. So can you tell our listeners a little bit more about this decision from Russia and essentially how it actually affects the cryptocurrency market? Well, decision itself is basically very much in line in very his many historical decisions uh, taken in Russia and any other authoritative states. And it comes from the fact that cryptocurrency or other alternative currencies to the state currencies give um, citizens enough freedom to circumvent certain limitations uh, imposed by the state. Cryptocurrencies were, for example, pretty um, useful for Russians to be donated to organizations that are deemed uh, opposition to the current government without revealing their identity, um, something that cannot be done easily with rubles uh, locally. So this ban is uh, an attempt to curb such freedoms, um, as was bans on gold, owning gold in the past, uh, dollars and other things that are not under the state's control. So that's basically something you can expect uh, to happen. Of course, that's just a proposal uh, coming up. That's just the central bank's proposal, but it shows certain line of thinking of uh, holding the, the, the citizens more to the within the reach of the uh, uh, state. What it means to uh, cryptocurrency market? Uh, we need to look at it from the point of view how the cryptocurrency is used. And um, of course, it's at least partially being used exactly to do what I described, meaning do stuff that is not within um, the best interest of the governments. 
Um, and if such ca- cryptocurrency is banned uh, on a certain area that it's extensively used for such activities, of course, the demand will fall. Uh, what we can actually um, think on the other side of this issue is that such bans in the past were not really successful. So they are, did not eliminate the dollar, did not did, uh, eliminate the gold, and they will certainly not eliminate uh, Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies because they are much harder uh, to, to eliminate as they are inher- inherently um, digital and can be hidden uh, on the other side of the world uh, with a click of a mouse. So we can be uh, pretty confident that despite some uh, problems, there are technical ways of avoiding whatever uh, government will be trying to do. Great. So I guess our listeners would be wondering, how does a digital currency actually function, right? So would it actually be intermediated through the current financial system? Would the sort of unbanked, so it's called, uh, profit from it in any way? Well, of course, explanation how that works require, requires a little bit more time than we actually have. But uh, basically, um, uh, Bitcoin by, by itself was created as a response to t- 2008 uh, financial crisis as um, a manifesto of lack of trust into official financial system. And um, we have to be, however, um, aware of the fact that those tools are not really the tools that are used by people that are unbanked because they are pretty advanced. So this is something that is used by people that are actually pretty well versed into the world of finance and technology. Uh, and people that are outside of the banking systems, they have uh, problems with, uh, with uh, actually participating in such um, endeavors. Uh, so I wouldn't see that as uh, a way of getting things done for the lower tiers of uh, income distribution, uh, but definitely a way to um, hide some wealth uh, for the richest, uh, transfer the wealth around the world for the richest, uh, make some illegal or quasi-illegal transactions, but also fund some uh, opposition uh uh, parties or sub- opposition organizations to totalitarian regimes um, uh, and help them grow uh, this way, but also fund, for example, terrorist organizations as well. So this is all the things that we have to take into consideration. Great. So let's let's try to let's try to zero in on this right for the region and 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 what this means. And what I wanted to do is kind of talk just shortly about the actual discussion paper that was released by the U.S. Federal Reserve and how it kind of plays into Russia's response here. So the report states that creating this sort of official digital version of the U.S. dollar could actually give Americans more uh, and speedier payment options. Uh, But the reserve is also highlighting that it it brings about financial stability risks and privacy concerns, right? Um, And What's most important here is is that the paper actually did not make any sort of policy recommendations. It didn't offer any clear signal on where the Fed actually stands, um, whether this actually go- is going to, to be a launch um, of a digital bank, digital currency. So f- for advocates of cryptocurrency, the fact that the Federal Reserve actually started a dialogue on the topic I would say is fairly big news. And you would think that the market prices would have gotten a boost from it, but we obviously see that's not the case. So what we're kind of interested in here is, is 
please try to translate this news uh, for the region, situate the context, and maybe kind of help us understand what this development means for cryptocurrency advocates or for central banks across the region who are sort of exploring the adoption of digital currency. Because when you kind of look and you see even the Atlantic Council um, has, has stated that nearly 90 countries are sort of exploring or even launching their own digital currency. So I'm just kind of under trying to understand what the challenges are here, um, not only globally, but for the CEE region. Well, first of all, we need to take into consideration that what Fed is actually discussing is not something that wasn't tried already. And we've seen a digital dollar before. Well, it ended up in one of the biggest scams in cryptocurrency, but that's completely different and a long story. But uh, uh, cryptocurrency backed by the actual assets is something that was tried. The new, th- new part is that that would be backed by uh, the body that's actually issuing the currency. So that's something new here. But of course, we've heard about uh, uh, local uh, state cryptocurrencies before. Uh, Venezuela comes uh, to mind with uh, uh, um, uh, Petro, was it? Of course, didn't hit it off too much, but it was offered as a, as a mean of payment. So we are talking here basically about adopting the blockchain technology to regular currency. It's not really what we would be understanding as cryptocurrency for the state. It's just uh, making some things uh, quicker, uh, more convenient, more digital uh, for the traditional currency or alongside of it. Uh, It doesn't bear too much uh, importance for the cryptocurrency market because this is a state establishment, uh, adoption of technology. But let's remember the cryptocurrency, that one of the main features of it, it's stateless. So basically, uh, this does not apply really that much. So the uh, digital dollar is basically the same as the regular dollar, maybe a little bit more convenient to buy and sell. But other than that, it's just a dollar. And it's... Uh, Subject to all of the things that uh, some people see as a problem, like uh, Federal Reserve policy, monetary policy, and such. Um, so I wouldn't mingle those two things because they don't seem to be connected, really. Uh, outside of the technology used for both of those things. Now, talking about what we uh, think from the point of view of Europe and uh, uh, Central Europe in particular... Um, well, Europe in, in particular is pretty reactive in, uh, in this entire uh, uh, matter. We are not adapting anything. We are not regulating much at the same time. Um, so I don't see any policy discussions uh, about that, not to mention about implementing blockchain to any of, of, of the currencies or euro itself. Um, this is even more so for the CE that is having completely different set of problems and, and mindset. So we are basically thinking about things that are completely different. And we are actually pretty advanced into adoption of other technologies to make our payments speeder and, um, and more convenient than blockchain. Why Russia is important here? Because to be honest, normally nobody would even care about this ban uh, that Russia is not even implementing, but discussing. Uh, because let's face it, of course, a lot of Russians law, uh, well, maybe not a lot. Some Russians own quite a lot of cryptocurrency, but those are mostly oligarchs that keep it somewhere uh, offshore. 
so that's has zero impact on them, especially that when you read about the ban, the ban is only about on the site in Russia. So you can have your cryptocurrency outside, uh, which magnifies what I said at the beginning. Uh, but what is important is that the Russia is one of the biggest hubs of mining cryptocurrency. Why is that important? <clears throat> Without mining, there is no cryptocurrency. If nobody's mining, you are unable to make any transactions. That's the problem. You are unable to sell your Bitcoin. You are unable to transfer your Bitcoin. You are basically stuck with it. Uh, China was a place that was uh, mainly uh, mining Bitcoin, but this was scrapped there as well. <clears throat> Partially due to environmental reasons, because Bitcoin is designed in such a way that it's really energy intensive. Um, we shouldn't blame that much the inventor of Bitcoin for that, because clearly he did not, um, could not phantom where this will go eventually. Uh, but now Bitcoin has pretty significant uh, carbon footprint. And uh, that's one thing, not all countries really care about carbon foot footprint, but it also means large energy consumption. And this can be a drain on a uh, country's uh, economy because as the price of the energy goes up, the, comp the, 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 the country be becomes less and less competitive. Uh, so kicking out the miners has, uh, on one side, maybe ecological issue behind it. On the second part, this has just a common economical sense of uh, using your energy for something that you actually need. So the question is, if such a ban is actually put in place, uh, then the question is uh, how efficiently the blockchain, Bitcoin blockchain, would work after that. If, and if the efficiency took a large hit, and let's remember, even now, to validate the transaction, you need a couple of hours. So if this was extended significantly, that would be a big problem in actually using Bitcoin at all and could actually mean in the certain time frame, it's actual downfall, complete disappearance of Bitcoin. Of course, replacing it with something more energy efficient, basically, where you could do the mining at much lower uh, cost. Uh, but uh, this could at least partially explain uh, the drop in the price of Bitcoin uh, upon the news. However, let's face it, 7% uh, deep in the price in the cryptocurrency market is basically a blip. Yeah, nobody talks about it unless it's 20% or 50% because that's how the volatility in this market work. But we can see this trend going on since uh, basically November. That's not only 2022. Yeah, so, so if this is implemented, the question is how the Bitcoin will be mined Later on, will be there another? Will will there be another country that will pick up, or there will be a slack that basically can uh, can uh, uh, threaten uh, the the functioning of the of the blockchain overall? Oh, that's great, and I think that's a fantastic place to end. Um, thank you very much uh, for joining us. Well, we understand that we're some time away from this being a reality, um, but we'll sure to see some sort of response and comments. Uh, specifically to the Fed in the next 120 days or so. But thank you very much, and we appreciate you being here. Thank you very much. Hello, I am Tomasz Kasprowicz. I'm a vice president at Respublika Foundation. I'm a PhD in finance, uh, majoring in risk management and decision-making under uncertainty. I'm also an entrepreneur uh, dealing in the IT business.